law self-defense content you are about to enjoy is presented for general educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice. If you are in need of legal advice, consult competent legal counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Welcome to our ongoing coverage of the Minnesota murder trial of Derek Chauvin over the in-custody death of George Floyd. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for Law Self-Defense. Today's content is sponsored by CCW Safe, a provider of legal service memberships, so many people mistakenly call self-defense insurance. CCW Safe, in effect, promises to pay their members legal expenses if their member is involved in a use of force event, and those expenses start big and get bigger fast, folks. A typical aggravated assault charge would can happen if you simply point your gun at another person in self-defense, don't fire a shot, don't hurt anybody, can risk a 10- or 20-year felony sentence and cost as much as thirty to $50,000 in legal fees to defend, and that's just for the pre trial expense. If you don't have that kind of money stuffed in a mattress, just in case you're compelled to defend yourself or your family, it can be useful to have a financial partner standing behind you to make sure you have the legal resources you need to fight the legal battle the way you'd want it fought. Now, I've looked at all these types of services you might imagine, and I found that CCW Safe is the best fit for me. I'm a member. My wife, Emily, is a member. Whether they're the best fit for you is something only you can decide, but I do encourage you to take a look at what they have to offer by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com slash ccwsafe. And if you do decide to become a member of CCWSafe, you can save 10% off your membership at that URL, lawofselfdefense.com slash ccwsafe, using the discount code LOSD10. That's LOSD for Law of Self-Defense and the number 10. Today was mercifully brief in duration, but packed full of action, at least for certain lawyer values of action. So let's dive right in. Two notable events I've already discussed in a breaking news post earlier today was the decision of the defense to call no further witnesses. That was a surprise. This included waiving the prospect of having Chauvin appear as a witness to testify on his own behalf. Chauvin elected to assert his Fifth Amendment right to not testify and when offered uh, to have the jury instructed that guilt could not be inferred from his not testifying, he affirmed that he wanted that instruction given to the jury. You can see my previous write-up of those events. Uh, I'll link to that earlier breaking blog post from this morning in the text version of today's content. The big surprise of the day, however, was the state's sudden claim that they had discovered new evidence that justified recalling state expert witness Dr. Martin Tobin, pulmonologist, to the witness stand to rebut some of yesterday's testimony by defense expert Dr. David Fowler, a forensic pathologist. This new evidence was purportedly just discovered data on Floyd's blood oxygen levels when he was at Hennepin County Medical Center. The state wished to have Dr. Tobin testify about that data to rebut suggestions by Dr. Fowler that given the proximity of Floyd's face to the exhaust of squad car 320, it was possible that Floyd's carbon monoxide blood concentration could have been as high as 18%. Not normally a dangerous level for healthy people, but a level Fowler testified was sufficient to be dangerous and a contributor to Floyd's death, given Floyd's fragile physiology. As these things tend to go in court, the argument over whether to allow Tobin to be recalled as a witness for this rebuttal purpose took about twice as long as did his actual testimony, but the argument was important. So I'll share it with some detail here. 
Obviously, this demand for rebuttal by the state, particularly on this blood data discovered just after Fowler's testimony ended yesterday with the notice provided to the defense only about five o'clock last night, was about as late in the course of the trial as could be imagined. Further, the defense expert on this subject matter, Dr. Fowler, well, he was presently on a plane flying home while the state was arguing in court for their own expert, Dr. Tobin, to be recalled. During the discussion about whether Tobin should be permitted to provide additional testimony, the state set out four areas that they wished Tobin to testify about. First, the state claimed that the Hennepin County Medical Examiner, Dr. Thomas Baker, after hearing Fowler's testimony yesterday on the carbon dioxide issue, had somehow dug into the hospital's records and found that Floyd's blood concentration of carbon monoxide had, in fact, been measured at the time when Floyd was in the hospital, but had never been previously produced when the parties had subpoenaed Floyd's medical records. The state now wanted that data to be shared with the jury and explained by Dr. Tobin to rebut Fowler's claim that Floyd's carbon monoxide concentration could have been as high as 18%. Now, normally, of course, the state would have been expected to make such arguments in Dr. Tobin's original testimony, and their failure to do so would not be a good reason to suddenly allow Tobin to retestify now. But an exception to that normal prohibition on retestimony can be made if the defense itself had ambushed the prosecution with scientific arguments for which they had not provided the state with notice. Prosecutor Blackwell argued that Fowler's reference to CO concentrations as high as 18% had never previously been disclosed to the state and so qualified as just such an ambush that justified Tobin's recall to the witness stand. The defense countered that Fowler had explicitly referenced carbon monoxide as a possible contributor to Floyd's death in his expert report shared with the state weeks before the trial began and had even recommended that the state test the blood for carbon monoxide concentration. After all, it was only the state, not the defense, that had possession of Floyd's blood. As a result, the state was on notice with respect to the carbon monoxide issue, and if they failed to address that issue in a timely manner, well, that was on them. It's too late now. Now, Judge Cahill agreed with the defense with respect to this newly discovered blood gas level data and informed the state that if Tobin so much as hinted at this newly discovered data, the judge would order a mistrial had occurred. That said, Judge Cahill said he would allow Tobin to speak to the carbon monoxide concentration issue if he only referenced data that had long been available to both parties, not this newly discovered data. That opened the door to the prosecution having Tobin reference Floyd's oxygen levels, uh, not carbon monoxide levels per se, but the measured levels of oxygen at the time, which had been shared with the parties, and use the oxygen level to infer possible CO level. This is possible because oxygen and carbon monoxide both compete for the same binding location on hemoglobin, and only one of them can bind any particular hemoglobin protein. So a protein of hemoglobin bound by oxygen cannot also be available to be bound by carbon monoxide and the reverse. That's what makes carbon monoxide dangerous, is it displaces binding sites or it occupies binding sites for oxygen, so you, they're no longer available for your hemoglobin to carry oxygen around your body. Because the parties were aware that blood gas measurements had indicated that Floyd's blood had oxygen levels of 98%, 
It could be inferred that its carbon monoxide levels could be no greater than the remaining 2%, which was well within normal range. There was also an entirely separate issue, a second issue that the state also wanted Tobin to provide rebuttal testimony on, and this involved Fowler's claim yesterday that he had been unable to find any scientific studies supporting Tobin's earlier claim that the hypopharynx could be narrowed by pressure placed on a person's back. Fowler said he'd searched the major scientific publication database, which is known as PubMed, and he'd come up with no results. The state claimed that Fowler's reference to this PubMed search was, again, new evidence not previously shared with them, again, qualifying as ambush testimony, and again, providing the exception necessary for them to have Dr. Tobin testify on this issue. The state indicated that Tobin would testify that there were, in fact, a number of scientific papers and studies that supported his claim about the hypopharynx narrowing under uh, when the chest is placed under pressure. Naturally, the defense objected, saying that they would not have any opportunity to research Tobin's claim of such papers um, and studies, much less of actually reading these purported papers and studies in order to understand if they actually supported Tobin's claim or if they were subject to uh, effective impeachment by the defense. Further, again, the defense expert witness Fowler was on a plane and not available to the court, much less the defense. Judge Cahill, however, ruled that Tobin would be permitted to testify as to the existence of such papers in rebuttal testimony in a summary fashion. A third area the state also wanted to be permitted to have Dr. Tobin testify on um, was the claim that the cause of Floyd's death was hypoxia or low oxygen. So the state claimed that Dr. Fowler had contested that claim by Tobin in yesterday's testimony. Now, to be clear, Fowler had claimed uh, that it wasn't low oxygen induced by positional asphyxia that caused Floyd's heart to fail, as Tobin had argued in his own testimony, but rather that it was Floyd's heart that failed that had resulted in a low oxygen state. Now, this was the weakest argument for rebuttal testimony offered by the state. Really, both Tobin and Fowler agreed that Floyd had evidenced a low oxygen state by various symptoms, uh, such as a particular convulsive leg kick that he'd made. Their only disagreement uh, between Tobin and Fowler was the precise mechanism that had led to that low oxygen state. Tobin claimed positional asphyxia was the cause, and Fowler claimed cardiac arrest as the cause. Uh, So Cahill ruled that Tobin would not be permitted to testify as to that issue on rebuttal. So in the end, Tobin was permitted to speak to the issue of inferring a maximum carbon monoxide concentration in Floyd's blood of no more than 2% based on the measured oxygen saturation level of 98% and to inform the jury that he was aware of some 12 to 20 scientific papers that supported the notion that smaller lung volume resulted in a narrowing of the hypopharynx. So uh, that discussion about uh, whether or not Tobin should be allowed to uh, provide rebuttal testimony, everything I've just described to you uh, in some detail, the video of the entirety of that discussion, it's about half an hour long, is embedded in the text version of today's content. So that led to the direct questioning on rebuttal of Tobin. It was conducted by Prosecutor Blackwell. It took only about eight minutes. Um, excitement of the legal type occurred about halfway through, about four minutes into this direct, when Tobin appeared 
to reference in his testimony the blood gas data that Cahill had cautioned would result in a mistrial, this newly discovered blood gas data. Nelson immediately objected, and the court went to uh, uh, went into a couple of minutes of sidebar, during which I'm sure the defense was arguing for a mistrial. And frankly, in my professional opinion, a mistrial in this case would be entirely warranted, if not only from this particular incident in isolation, then from the accumulated harms done to the defense by the state's untimely dropping of thousands of exhibits on the defense, even as the trial proper was taking place, averaging nearly 500 new exhibits each day of the trial. At the end of that couple minutes of sidebar, however, Blackwell returned to continue his direct of Tobin, so no mistrial. Uh, presumably, he'd been cautioned to avoid mention of the prohibited blood gas data. So the direct examination, the video of the direct examination on rebuttal uh, by Blackwell of Tobin is embedded in the text version of today's content. Now, after Tobin's rebuttal testimony on direct, there was another lengthy pause some 20, 25 minutes conducted off microphone, perhaps even, I believe, in the judge's chambers rather than in the courtroom, during which I'm confident that Nelson was once again arguing for a mistrial. But apparently that argument was to no avail. Again, because Nelson did return and conduct cross-examination of Tobin. Uh, but without any real way to prepare for this unexpected testimony, there really wasn't much Nelson could accomplish. Uh, as a natural consequence of this constraint, his cross took only about two minutes, and that two minutes of video is embedded again in the text version of today's content, and that wrapped up Tobin's rebuttal testimony. So about 10 minutes in all. Now, at this point, both the state and the defense made the final announcement that they were resting their case in chief, and Judge Cahill turned his attention to the jury. Uh, the jury would be dismissed for the day, he told them. They don't have to return until Monday at 9 a.m., that's central time, at which time they would return to court to hear the closing arguments of the state and the defense, receive their jury instructions, and begin their deliberations. They were reminded they would be sequestered during deliberations, and so they were cautioned to pack a bag. On the topic of how much to pack, Cahill suggested, well, that you plan for a long sequestration and hope it turns out to be a short one, but that ultimately only the jury could decide how long deliberations would take. And with that, the jury was dismissed from the courtroom for the day until Monday morning. After the jury had left, there was another brief discussion about the charge conference for this trial. Now, the charge conference is where the parties meet with the judge to iron out the precise jury instructions to be given to the jury to guide them in their deliberations. Obviously, these instructions guide the jury to either a guilty or not guilty verdict. So, each party has an interest in trying to bias those instructions in their own favor, both by ensuring that particular desirable instructions are included among those given to the jury, as well as that any customization of the instructions be favorable to their own interest. Uh, Minnesota, like most states, has standardized jury instructions for criminal trials. But standardized instructions are always subject to some customization by a trial judge to best fit the particular facts and legal arguments in a given trial. The selection of the specific instructions to be given to the jury and discussion of any possible customization of those instructions are what is hashed out during this charge conference, a meeting between the parties and the judge. Unfortunately for us, Cahill announced that the charge conference in this case will take place in chambers, so will not be subject to our observation. I do expect we will be able to observe the actual reading of the instructions to the jury in court on Monday. However, and if I obtain physical copies of those final instructions, I'll share them with everybody as well, of course. 
And that wraps up our coverage of the Chauvin trial for today, folks. Uh, Expect to see us back with live coverage of the court's proceedings on Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central Time, if not a little earlier. And perhaps a post to carry us over the weekend if some interesting topic strikes my fancy while we're waiting for Monday morning. Before I go and view the ongoing riots raging presently in Minneapolis and likely to explode across the nation when this case arrives at a verdict or a mistrial, I've also taken the liberty of putting together a very special offer for one of our best-selling courses, uh, and that is our course on lawful defense against rioters, looters, and arsonists. This is a video course uh, available on both DVD and online stream formats. Uh, So we have a very special offer for all of you who might be interested in knowing how to lawfully defend yourself against rioters, looters, and arsonists. Uh, You can access that offer, learn more about it by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com slash riot. And thanks as always to both Legal Insurrection and CCWSA for the support that makes my coverage of this trial possible. All right, folks, that's all I have for you today. Uh, Until Monday morning or perhaps something over the weekend, I'm attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense. Stay safe.